Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Now let's join Holly Steffi and Red Velvet Media as we explore the inspirational worlds of music, media, and more.
<laughs> well, if that doesn't wake you up, then you need to wake up, wake up, everyone. Welcome to Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio, and um, this is a really going to be a really fun show because um, I have Max Hawthorne here, who has been on my show with another book that he's written, but he's just come out with this amazing new book that I am going to let him tell you a little bit about because it's it's a pretty cool book, and um, I am so excited to have him here. I just want to let everyone know that the chat room is open, and also that if anyone would like to call in, the number is 347-677-1036, and this show will be available on iTunes afterwards, and also on Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio On Demand. Um, and again, if you want to call in and talk to either myself or Max, um, you can do that by calling 347-677-1036. And um, Max, are you there? Yes, I am, Holly, and thank you for having me. It's great being back on the show. <laughs> oh, I, you're, you're, you're always fun. So tell everyone about your new book um, and also that song that we um, played is referenced in this book. So everyone about um, this book that's really cool and there's some really cool follow-up to this and I personally have a copy of this book and um, there's some really interesting things about it but um, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your new book that you wrote and uh, where we're going with this because it's really exciting. Absolutely. Well Cronus Rising is the name of the new novel and it is basically the first in a series of what I call marine terror uh, in the traditions of books like Jaws, Beast, things of that nature. Yep. Uh, and it's basically a story about a guilt-ridden, widowed lawman whose self-imposed seclusion in a quiet coastal community is disrupted by a prehistoric sea beast that basically threatens not only the town, but mankind's dominion over the, all the oceans of the world. Wow. Well, let me tell you what's really special about this book. First of all, there is a book trailer put in K-R-O-N-O-S Rising by Max Hawthorne. There's a book trailer. Also, there's a website, com, which I'm putting into the chat room. And um, this book is so cool because what's really – I love the art, first of all, and I want to talk to you about that, that the images are really cool, and I've seen some of the images on the website too. What's really cool about this book also is not only is there a story, it has a lot of really cool references in the back for people that aren't really um, savvy as far as nautical um, references, but there's a glossary of nautical marine terms, which is in the back, which is great because when you're reading this book, you're really immersed in this story, and it's it's actually very thrilling, and um, I'm super excited I really do hope that you are, um, you said you are thinking about this is going to become a movie, right? This oh, I don't know. That's, I mean, that's something that I don't have control over. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the glossary of marine and nautical terms was put mm-hmm. together because when I was first working on the book, uh, mm-hmm. I had a friend of mine who's a Yale graduate, and he read it, and he recommended it to me because it's sometimes when you're too close to something, you don't see it. 
and having decades of experience on the water, a lot of terms like the, that are used in the book, describing boats and waves and everything else, come second nature. But to a layman, so to speak, it's not. And he said he had a, a tough time with some of the terms. He had recommended that I put a glossary in the back, and I took him up on that. Oh, no, it's awesome. And it's really cool because, you know, some of the some of the books that really start talking about, that talk about different things that we're not used to, um, you know, it's really good to have a reference and a glossary in the back. Um, the reference to Highway to Hell, the song that we opened up with, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that whole scene there? Well, in the story, you basically got this, what's called a Mesozoic prehistoric uh-huh. predator, and it's wreaking havoc on an East Coast Florida fishing village. And eventually, at one point, without doing a lot of spoilers, though, uh, an individual is brought in, is hired to deal with this monster. And this character is basically uh, a combination of a big game hunter slash mercenary. And when he, he pulls up and we first see him, he has Highway to Hell blasting at an unspeakable volume. Oh, out, you can hear it out the window of his truck as it pulls yep. up at the dock. So that gives you an indication <laughs> when you're meeting a character. Exactly. And of course, you know, the term highway to hell is appropriate when you're pursuing, uh, you know, a creature like this. It's kind of indication what your destination is. Yeah, no, and, you know, um, I like meet the new face of marine terror. I like that. Um, it's, it's, and you go, and it's hungry now. Also, just let everyone know the book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and you can also um, go to the website, which is again K R O N O S Rising, and um, there are even a couple. You can register if you register. You get a couple free chapters of the book, and um, this is the, why. Why did you? Um, because you came from some a, a different background in your first book, and this is really cool that you've gone into this realm because sci-fi is really where I'm at. I really love science fiction, and I love. Um, the unknown and the fantasy world and stuff. And, you know, a lot of this could be really reality. I mean, you never know, right, Max? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Really, I, I mean, there's the so first... many undiscovered stuff, you know. And new species are discovered every day. Yeah. And it's surprising what goes on. But it's funny because Cronus Rising, my mm-hmm. passion is actually writing uh, marine, maritime-based novels, uh, I don't want to say sea monster books, etc., but they are horror novels and science fiction novels per se. Um, I actually wrote Cronus Rising a long time ago. It was actually written like nine years ago, and at the time, as you probably know from my last visit, I was, as a writer, yeah. a struggling writer, I was working in the health club industry to pay my bills and then freelancing on the side. And when I left the industry years ago, I had seen so much horrible stuff that I decided to write memoirs of a gym rat as an expose, you know, to warn people about all the hazards they have to worry about when walking into a gym. Mm -hmm. That being done and out of the way, the Cronus Rising was inevitable to come out next and, of course, the entire series that goes with it. And it's a very exciting, scary book. I've got so many flattering compliments from readers on social media that have told me like, that they get upset when they finish the book. And it's a big book. I mean, it's 192,000 words. But oh, yeah. when it's over, it's because they're like, you know, it, the book's done. Oh, my God, what do I do now? You know, that's what they're telling me and everything. So they're like, is there a sequel? Is there a sequel? And there will absolutely be at least two more books and possibly a prequel as well. That's amazing. And... 
you know, it is. It's a very fun read. And um, what I really did enjoy, though, was some of the things, like I said, when I when I read it and I didn't know what it was, um, I was able to look at the glossary. It's um, the story actually is 537 pages, and then um, there's a little bit of an after story there, which um, is a few pages, and then you go into the glossary and everything. Um, Max, let's talk about you and what your background is, because I know that you really love outdoor um, and sports and and fishing and stuff like that and fossils and antiquities. So I would like to talk to you about what what made you decide to write a book about this. Well, I think that that goes back to uh, even growing up. My dad yeah. is a well-known what's called a rock hound, uh, somebody that yeah. collects mineral specimens, fossils, things of that nature. I'm probably the only kid on my block who I remember when I was little, my dad storing the fossilized skeleton of a baby woolly mammoth on top of the family piano. A so baby it wasn't what? exactly a baby mammoth. You know, the prehistoric oh elephant gosh. covered with hair. Yeah. And I was like, what? You know, it was like dinosaur bones. They were so big. And this was just a baby, of course, you know, a juvenile. Yeah. But so having, you know, a, a father who was into that stuff, it was inevitable that I uh, would be interested in things of that nature. And, of course, my love for fishing grew and grew over the years. So when I decided, you know, many years ago that I wanted to, you know, go into writing, fishing, the ocean, things of that nature was second nature to me. In fact, most of my preliminary stuff was little articles and write-ins for fishing and outdoor magazines, et cetera. And then, of course, they grew into the novels. Oh, that's... That- that's really cool because, you know, when we take our own personal experiences from when we were younger um, and we then kind of focus on that, were you always interested in sci- science fiction as a child? Were you, what, what kind of books were you reading when you were younger? Well, I, were, I watched a lot of Star Trek, you know, the original series mm-hmm. when I was a kid, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people did. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself, so to speak. Uh, but the books I read, I've read a lot of books in the genre. I guess uh, I remember reading a book called Extinct, which was mm-hmm. about a giant prehistoric shark. And then there was a book called Megalodon by, I think, Robin Brown, which mm-hmm. was about a giant, you know, that was another giant shark book back in the late 70s with Jaws coming out of the big shark craze. There was a lot of, you know, literature like that available. And when you read these type of books, you know, it, it does stir your interest. I mean, the sea is a very dark and dangerous place to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always mysteries and people disappearing and God knows what happens to them. I mean, you never know what's going to go on down there, what's going to show up. And if you take that premise and then add to it the possibility that some prehistoric predator that used to prey on dinosaurs might mm-hmm. actually have survived in an isolated location to the present and unleash it on mankind, you really got to set up for a terrific action-packed and very suspenseful, I'm sorry, novel. Oh, no, and you know what? I can totally see this going and becoming a movie because I think that it would be really, I could just imagine because I know that you're so meticulous about your visuals and about the, I mean, you have to see this, guys. Go to the website and see just the artwork on it, K-R-O-N-O-S, Rising. Um, I love the the pictures that you have so far about uh, on your website and stuff for this. It really gives you a feeling of what is very terrifying 
and could be it and could be very very true um I know you know growing up in in and being around the ocean and and being and actually discovering things and <clears throat> being able to be around it so much there are so many unknown uh things that they don't talk about and um I think it would be really cool if we could really if we really did find something like this I know that that I have a friend I have a friend who um what he does is he travels around the world and he actually just went to um can't remember where it was I know it's somewhere near Ecuador or <clears throat> something like that what he does is he goes and he finds unseen species new species of different fish and um uh, things like that and he actually lets people know about it and when i talked to him a little bit about this book he was like oh well that that's just like really what's happening now today in this world um so many things are being uncovered so this is a really fun take and it has a really good story tell me about the characters in the book uh, well the central character's name mm-hmm. is jake braddock uh, he's a mm-hmm. former competitive athlete who uh, lost his wife when she tragically drowned, and he's taken the job in his childhood hometown of Paradise Cove, Florida, as the co- as the sheriff of the town. And uh-huh. Jake is a bit of a very a morose character who has sworn off on everything from his previous career to dating, and he has turned himself into a workaholic. And his obsession is just taking care of this little town and the people in it. Unfortunately, something is thrown his way that makes that job a lot harder than one would expect. Uh, there's a lot of characters, but I don't want to you know, do a lot of uh, spoilers for people, but the uh, other principal protagonist, I'm sorry, I have a bit of a cold, but protagonist in the book, no, no, is, okay. her name is Amara Takagi, and she is a uh, cetacianist person who studies whales and also works with uh, underwater robotics. And she, mm-hmm. of course becomes drawn into it, but she is trying to protect this creature once it's unveiled, whereas Jake wants to eliminate it as a threat. So even though there's possibly some romantic interest between the two of them, the mm-hmm. conflict is inevitable to arise when you know, they have, they're at opposite ends of how to deal with this enormous, uh, pun intended, problem that they have on their hands. Oh, sure. Now, where exactly does this take place? Um, in Paradise Cove, Florida, correct? Yes, it's supposed to be a fictitious town, so if there's a real Paradise Cove, I apologize to all the inhabitants, Um, but Paradise Cove is situated on the east coast of Florida, Mm -hmm. and it's a coastal community, just a small little fishing village, whale watching, kind of romantic getaway type place. Mm -hmm. And um, can you tell me what, how, how did you get started writing this book what what was it that you did what was the first thing you did when you decided and how did you come up with the name of the book uh well cronus rising believe it or not i was actually inspired by a movie called deep rising that i saw Uh which was like a sea monster flick with this uh i forget what it was i saw the movie some sort of like giant parasitic worm-like creatures coming up from the abysses mm-hmm. of the ocean or something like that. And Cronus, of course, was a reference to the Lord of the Titans in Greek mythology, and he's referenced in the book. He was a, uh, the god who, uh, there was a, uh, 
a prediction that one of his children would overthrow him, so whenever one of his children was born, Aquinas was a monster, of course, he would swallow them whole, he would devour his own children, thus eliminating the problem. Uh, one time his uh, maid, his wife, gave him a stone wrapped in swaddling clothes instead of the infant Zeus, of course, from Greek mythology. He swallowed the stone thinking that it was his infant. Zeus grew up to become a god. He uh, killed his father, freed the gods of Olympus, waged war against the Titans, etc. You know, it's a whole big, you know, it's Greek mythology. But anyway, so Cronus was an appropriate name to use, and one, at one point the scientist in the book thinks that the animal is a Cronosaurus, a giant prehistoric marine predator that died out with the dinosaurs. It isn't exactly mm-hmm. that, but that's what they're led to believe at one point. I love, I love how it goes out where you write, after 65 million years, the world's greatest predator is that nut since the 1975 movie Jaws starring Richard Dreyfuss, Roy Schreider, and Robert Shaw, have people been so afraid to go in the water as they have been after reading your book? <laughs> well, you know what? I, I think it's oh, my God. I remember Jaws. Oh, my God. Jaws mm-hmm. scared me. But, you know. I, I was afraid to get into the tub as a child, I can tell you. Oh, no. But, uh, Jaws really I think it's scared been... me. Yeah, it's I been a did. long time since there's been a good sea monster epic out yeah, there. There's been a wall in the field. Yeah, and the, the people are clamoring for it. I mean, my, my fans are very avaricious, and they, mm-hmm. I think they're feeling a little neglected, so I'm happy. And at the same time, you know, I think we need to do what we can to really damage swimsuit sales for the upcoming season. Uh, you know, scare them out of the water, uh-huh. so to speak. And believe me, you know, I mean, Peter Benji was a genius and inspired generations of writers to come. And if I can pick up where he left off and scare a few people out of the water myself, then uh, my, I've done a good job. So are you finding yourself going more in the science fiction realm and um, with your writing now, now that you are going to be following this up with two other, two other books? Well, technically, even though I guess you would say it's science fiction since it's not actually happening uh, and there are some artistic liberties, uh, they actually have the book classified as a horror novel because oh, it has... Uh, you're kidding. No. I didn't know that. Exactly. Technically, wow. the movie Jaws is yeah, a horror, horror film. Yeah, on the side of it. Yeah, written horror. Yeah. But Jaws is a that. horror book and a horror film as well. Uh, so even a movie like Jurassic Park is horror. Yeah. Uh, people don't seem to realize that because it has that whole monster on the loose and you're trapped in this environment and this thing is out to get you and you're trying to survive. And, you know, I mean, if you think about it, you take any of the modern horror, you know, even even these slasher films that you see, I mean, they're on the same premise. And all this stuff goes back to stories told by the ancient Greeks with the story of the Minotaur, you know, that half Mm -hmm. man, half bull monster. People are trapped in a maze trying to survive, and this huge, terrifying creature is trying to get them and eat them. And that's where all horror books, movie stores, all everything goes back, whether it's Jaws, Moby Dick, everything all goes back to that ancient story of the Minotaur. Like legends and like legends, stuff. yeah, legends and um, things that people have carried on from generation to generation. Because I know growing up, because I grew up pretty much all over the place and listening to different stories in different parts of the country and the world, there's always something different. You know, I remember, I remember um, there were stories that I heard in one in one country that when I went to another country I heard, and that's what really got me into 
the fantasy realm and into the realm of really believing a lot of stuff that really could it could in reality be really true um we you know this this book could definitely be a reality and it's just that we haven't found it yet we just um they find things every day and you know this max they do find things every day and they don't let everybody know everything that's going on until they have to um and I think that yeah, there this seems to be a lot, of, a lot of Big Brother cover up when it comes to. So. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's a, and and as you say, it's an it, it's it's a it's a very thrilling book. Um, I think that you know, reading books like that and also seeing movies like that, really, like you mentioned Jurassic Park. We know they're filming a new Jurassic Park now, and I think you told me a little bit more about it. I didn't even know all the details, but. Um, you told me a little bit about that, and that goes hand in hand with all this really cool stuff coming out in your book. Um, what do you see? How do you see your next book going? Um, not to spoil anything, but what? How 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 do you see it going? Is the is is the monster going to be friendly? Is he something that uh, is <laughs> going to be what what what? What are they going to do with them? Well, I really can't get too much into book two, which is called Kraken, uh-huh. by the way. Cronus Rising, What's it called? Book two. Kraken, K-R-A-K-E-N. It's a reference Ooh. to the uh, Scandinavian monster the Vikings named, which was believed to be the giant squid. But, uh, you know, there's some unfortunate Vikings had a run in or two with the giant squid, and uh, the legend of the Kraken was born. But in book two, it takes place years later and you have a society that's been changed by the impact of this creature or creatures and how people are dealing with it like i i'm hesitant to really get trying to get into any of the the storyline or plot or anything like that but i can tell you that it will sort of pick up where cronus rising leaves off and it is going to be a very big book, and it is going to be an epic read. I promise you that. I work very hard to make my oh, people Oh, I bet. Happy. I bet. I mean, this one is, again, if you would like to call in the numbers 347-677-1036. And today my guest is Max Hawthorne, and we're talking about his new marine terror novel, Cronus Rising. And the chat room is open. If you missed the beginning of the show, the show will be available on iTunes and afterwards on Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio On Demand. Um, You have a fan page on Facebook, so I'm letting everyone know that K-R-O-N-O-S Rising is on Facebook. Um, And there are, I can see this becoming very cult-like. I think that, you know, like there are a lot of people that are really into uh, different, types of movies and they follow them i i think this could be a beginning of um a new type of following which is kind of cool because people are always looking for something to be excited about um you how how was this when you were writing this how did you feel when you were writing this book well Uh, that's a lot of different stuff, but the first thing is when you mention Facebook, I just want to give a shout out to any of my fans that might be listening yeah. because my Facebook people are absolutely fantastic. 
mm-hmm. we, for 10 weeks now, we've been doing like a weekly shirt giveaway uh, to you know, help spread the word, different shirt designs for the ads and stuff. And they have been awesome. Uh, people have posted like the world's first Cronus Rising selfies, as I call them, you know, wearing their, probably wearing their T-shirts and showing off their books and such. Uh, some of them have even got Cronus Rising mugs. So it's, it's, they're a really great bunch and, and really supportive. You know, they're, they're the type of fans that you, they just make you want to work harder. So I just want to give a shout-out to them. Um, and in terms of the uh, – oh, and there is one other thing, actually, Facebook-wise, I, I for, almost forgot. I had spread the word a little bit about this, but we set up a discount for Facebook people um, if they want to buy the book through the site. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. read you this code real quick. Um, but it's okay. R-U-P-E-E-N-P-R, so R-U-P-E-E-N-P-R. And if people go to cronusrising.com and click on discount copies, they actually get $6 off the price of the book. So it's a huge discount for my social media people. If they want to take advantage of it, it's still available. Help yourself. It's fine. Oh, that's great. I'm looking at your store, and you've got some really cool T-shirts. I love the one with the ocean with the hands coming out of the water. Oh, God. That's that was great. one of the first one. They had the first thing as the hand sticking out. So I think it said uh-huh. like uh, Cronus is coming, swimming not recommended or something like that. Or yeah. uh-huh. There's been so many great tongue-in-cheek ads you know, coming out, there was one recently that the uh, it was like a wave coming in, and it was all blood, and it said like a Cronus rising, come on in, the water's fine. Uh, there's been uh, another one with a uh-huh. mi- with a minefield, and it said, you know, you know, it's scary when this is the safest place in the water or something like that. Yeah, uh-huh. a, lot, a lot of different stuff where you're almost kind of like poking fun at the genre, but you're also getting your point across to let people know, you know, this is a very exciting and scary and uh, and moving book that's really stimulating the imagination. Uh, but to yeah, answer your question the before... I love coffee mugs. The coffee mugs oh, are you. really cool. Yeah. A lot of that stuff cool. I've, I've designed myself. You, you nice. want to know how it was to physically write the book, though? Yeah, I mean, how did it feel to be writing this story? What were you going... Um, do you have any um, parts of the book when you were writing it that you want to share with our readers that you felt you had any, had experiences with or felt more more passionate about when you were writing it? Well, the, the first thing is, you, you know, the book was a huge undertaking. Uh, it was technically at the time my first novel, um, mm-hmm. and it was a big book. And it, uh, it was organized and laid out and planned out and everything. And uh, I, I wrote about two-thirds of it, and then I had some personal problems. I had to put it on hold for a few months and then get back on the horse and resume it. And then, of course, it went through development stages and revisions and so forth. Um, A lot of people, like I just did an interview recently, and I was asked that they were impressed with the, the realism that I bring when I write. And they, they, you know, they had asked me some of these scenes are so realistic, you know, so believable and so gripping. They said it's almost like you experienced it firsthand or you knew people that had, you know, and they asked me, was any of this book based on your real life experiences, that type of stuff. And uh, to answer that question, I have lived a, a tempestuous life, I guess you'd say, and I've had some, you know, terrifying, unfortunate experiences, especially in my younger days, which 
turned out to be a, a gift later on because I was able to draw upon those experiences when I write and make the things I write about that much more believable and realistic. And I, I've you know, had bullets whizzing past my head in a nightclub. I've been attacked by a hungry alligator and had to beat it off Have of the you? fishing net. Oh, yeah, really? down in Florida. Yeah, my what dad and I were... Like? It was like a miniature version of Cronus coming after you, I guess you'd say. You know, I was, uh, my father and I, we were standing at the edge of a, a lake behind this uh, rental property we had, and all of a sudden, this gator snuck up on us and tried to grab my dad. And, uh, you know, when you spend, grow up mostly in New York like I did, Philadelphia, New York, you you don't really have a lot of alligators coming at you. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. So I saw this thing and I thought it was a log. You know, so I wasn't really paying any mind. So I saw the mouth open and the teeth and I'm like, whoa. You know, so like, I was going to like, your, your instinct is to run. You know what I mean? But my dad was like 80 years old and he's had a heart attack. If I left him, he was cornered. You know, he, he was going to be gator food. And I didn't have any uh -huh. weapons. The only thing I had was the fishing net, you know, that you land the fish. So I grabbed it and I whacked this thing over the head. It was like hitting concrete. Let me tell you. Wow. I mean, like, didn't hurt him at all. I think I must have got him mm -hmm. right over the eyes or something, though. So the thing <laughs> splashed back into the water, and then he popped up about 20 feet out, and I saw just his eyes looking at me, and he was really pissed. And I heard this deep-throated rumble. It was like a like a roar. Oh, wow. And, and I knew it was coming. I turned on my camera, and I said, Dad, I said, take pictures of this. And I tossed on the camera, and the thing came charging at me full speed using its tail like, like, a, fish's, like a fish's tail to propel it. And, I looked, and he got halfway out of the water. The only thing that saved me was this particular lake had like a lip that stuck up. So he, it wasn't like a, a graduated slope. So he wasn't able to get fully out of the water on his charge. Otherwise, he would have got me by the leg, most likely, and dragged me in. So I started bashing him over the head with the net, and, and I'm hitting him, and he's snapping at me, and my dad's snapping pictures, and he's making these comments like, that's it, Max, take it to him, watch the teeth, you know, this kind of stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like he thinks it's funny and everything. And eventually, I drove the gator back into the water, and then he kind of like, surface and watched us. He, then he would come over and try and steal our fish once in a while and try to eat the neighbor's <laughs> dog. And, and he just wouldn't go away. It was unbelievable. He was, it was like, you know, like having a 300-pound, you know, pain in your you-know-what that just wants to eat you and just is hanging out waiting for his chance. Mm -hmm. So anyway, but like I said, I've, I've had my share of scary experiences, and it does loan itself to creating a realistic novel. Now, you mentioned to me that your father... Um, what what was it he exactly did? Um, he found well, things? Well, my dad or... was a, had a jewelry store when I was a kid, uh -huh. but his hobby was what's called a rock hound. And rock uh -huh. hounds are people that, I don't want to use the term obsessed, but they're into like mm -hmm. minerals and gems and fossils, yeah. things that have to deal with stone, rocks, things of that nature. Some rock hounds like fossils more than rocks and minerals. Some like those. Some like just gems. It varies from person to person. But he used to do a lot of dealings in that, and I saw a lot of stuff, you know, big shark teeth, dinosaur teeth, dinosaur bones. Sure. You know, there were always things teeth, floating really? around. Oh, my yeah. gosh. He still has wow. an extensive collection, and he's given me some of it recently. So, uh, 
But, you know, it was, it was an inspiring thing. You know, a lot of people aren't exposed to this stuff except when maybe you go to museums or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a child and you're handed the tooth of, let's say, a, I don't know, a Carcharodontosaurus, which is like an African version of a T-Rex, and you're holding mm-hmm. this big sawtooth dagger-like thing in your hand, you know, you can't help but picture that this was once in the mouth of some 40-foot, 8-ton carnivore stomping around, eating anything it could get its hands on, or teeth on, mm-hmm. as the case may be. And we know they were they were here because we've found fossils and bones and bodies. You know what movie I really liked was A Night at the Museum. Um, that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that yes. a cute movie? That was... That was a fun movie. It wasn't like a thriller movie, but it was fun because you got to see <clears throat> all the different things that came to life, and then you had all these animals and different things from the museum running around New York. So I thought that was kind of amusing. But this book here, I think, is 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 really a good read for people that are really into thrillers and into um, finding something fun and new. And actually, it does make you think a little bit. Um, there are a lot of things in the book that really I found to be just how it's very detailed, and it really does paint a really great picture. So this is a really this is a really important thing because now the following one we're going to expect you to have make it even you know better. Now that you're going to talk about this giant, I didn't even know about the giant jellyfish story. That's new to me. That didn't know about that that um, legend. Um, oh yeah, I've I've read about the huge jellyfish that have been spotted and enormous squid and enormous octopi and uh-huh. there's there's so much stuff that I mean, Lord only knows what can be lurking down there in the depths waiting for us. And I've done a ton of research for Kraken, and uh, you know, I, I I don't let my people down. So. You're pretty much guaranteed. I mean, Cronus Rising is a dramatic story. It does what it's supposed to do, which is it sinks its teeth into you from the beginning, and it does not mm-hmm. let you go until the very end, and you will be disappointed mm-hmm. when, it's, when it's done. But uh, it's an action-packed suspense thriller of a horror book, uh, and that's like mm-hmm. the ideal. You know, some stories, you know, they can become a little plotting, or you know, people may lose interest or something like that. The pacing in Cronus Rising is designed to really keep you on the edge of, the, of your seat and wanting more. And that's what you want from a good book. You, know, you want to sit there and you want to escape from reality and you want to give yourself over to the book. And uh, you know, I, I've said this in an interview recently that I think that uh, sometimes you'll, you, know, you get books where you just like you read and you're like, eh, I know it's happened to me and I don't think it's just because I'm a writer where I think a lot of times people, like the modern writing style sometimes, if I have any complaints about it, is it's, there's a sort of like this less is more thing going on out there mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. people try to almost give you like the Cliff Notes version when they write. And I think sometimes they leave too much to the reader to imagine and put too much pressure on the reader or they just shortchange them. You know, readers are trusting us with, their imagination, which is one of their most precious gifts. We owe it to ourselves, to them, to give them the best possible story possible and to create the most unique, 
exciting, terrifying, magical experience that we possibly can, whatever genre we're writing and we're writing fiction, we owe it to do that for our readers. Otherwise, why, why are they going to bother our, you know, paying for a book, hard-earned money in the first place? No, absolutely. I agree with you on that one. And um, so you you have this book that you've written, in your, and are you currently penning the second one now? Well, the second book is already completely mapped out, meaning wow. all the plot twists, turns, characters, all that are already developed, the scenes are already described, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't completed the physical writing of all, all the details or anything like that because right now I'm doing the screenplay for Cronus Rising. So mm-hmm. one thing at a time, I'm just one guy, and there's only 24 mm-hmm. hours in the day, and uh, you know, but all things in God's good time, as they say. So. Well, you know, I'm going to ask you a, um, a couple questions here about your book. First of all, with the screenplay and mm-hmm. the characters, who do you see playing um, the different people in the book, um, actor-wise? Who would you like to see be in this movie if you were to make it when when it does become a movie? I wouldn't limit myself to describing uh, a particular or assigning a particular actor. First of all, uh, since the book just came out like a week or so ago, a lot of people don't know who the characters are that I'm talking about. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, both of your principal characters, male and female, are in their mid twenties, we'll say. So mm-hmm. realistically, it would be you know, it depends on what's who's hot in Hollywood at the time. If God willing that it takes place, then it would be whatever you know, young couple would be designed for it. I mean, Amara's character is. Japanese or Japanese and Norwegian as it may be, so obviously the actress that plays her would be Asian or at least part Asian. Uh, Jake's character could be one of any young, rugged, athletic, good-looking <clears throat> Max Hawthorne type. Of, oh, I'm sorry, no, I was drifting. <laughs> but anyway. You are so, so funny. But, well, you know, I have my moments. It's, it's all the cold medicine. If you hear I'm nasal, I Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. But, um, um, you know, that's ahead, I'm funny. Sorry. You're so funny. I want to ask you then, what character in the book do you relate to more um, that you feel is part of you? Are you Jake? That's funny because I was just asked this question literally. Like I just answered it yesterday for a, a magazine interview, almost exactly the same question. But I guess it's a standardized thing. Um, my response to that is that when I write fiction, mm-hmm. and I believe most novelists do this, I immerse myself into the character. And when I develop the character and their pros, cons, everything about them, their, their backstory, I immerse myself into the character. I, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Uh, you know, if, and, and the way that character acts is not how I would act per se, but if I was that character, that's how I would act as them, if that makes any sense. See, because, you know, you're playing the parts of men, women, monsters, etc. So you have to be able to mm-hmm. juxtapose yourself into these different personas, per se. So any one of these characters or even creatures would have aspects of how I would be if I was wearing their skin, so to speak. But yeah. the character that, that I would probably say I could relate to more than the rest would be Carl von Freeling, who is really the anti-hero slash one of the villains in the story. Uh, He's technically a bad guy, 
And the thing I like about Carl von Friedman, or the reasons I could relate to him, is that he has a malicious sense of humor, which I do to a point, and he doesn't take crap from anybody. Excuse my language about saying that on the air, but that's the type no, of character oh, no, he is. No, 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 it's totally fine with me. Um, it's totally I don't, fine no, I don't want to offend any, any, any uh, listeners. No, you're, right not, now, but, you're not offending any of my listeners, and just so you know, I'm looking at the numbers, and there are quite a few, a lot of peop- there are quite a few people listening live. And what I found, a lot of people do listen to them, listen to the show on their device. If anybody wants to call in and ask Max or myself a question, three four seven six seven seven one zero three six, and the chat room's open. And um, I do see the numbers are really high though for live listeners. So uh, if you want to call in and um, maybe, maybe, uh, and also Max, give out that code again for a. Uh, for the discount oh, absolutely. people that want to go. If, anybody yeah. wants, if people are looking for a nice discount on the hard copy, not the ebook, the hard copy of Cronus Rising, uh-huh. they just go to cronusrising.com, and there's mm-hmm. a, the discount code that you'll use under discount copies at checkout is R-U-P-E-E-N-P-R, that's a rupee NPR, and it gives you $6 off the price, which is a nice savings yeah, for holiday no. people. Um, yeah, but to finish, well, uh, in so terms of this Carl von Freeling character, uh, because I just you know I just wanted to finish that story to see. So yeah. basically, there's an actual scene in Cronus uh-huh. Rising that is pretty much uh-huh. word for word exactly something that happened to me. There's a scene in Cronus Rising where Carl von Freeling is he gets a, a taxi, negotiates a fare to drive him to a set this destination, and when the uh, cabbie pulls up there and he sees it's an expensive neighborhood and what have you. He tries to, he, he calls and speaks in Punjab to his uh, dispatcher and they hatch this plot to try and shake Carl down to try and get more money out of him. And I had a similar experience happen to me in New York City with a yellow cab. And Unlike, now I don't speak that language like Von Freeling's character would or anything like that, but the same results were the same. And this person, he was actually trying to shake me down and make him give him an extra $50 or something like that for a oh, ride. Wow. And I was, I was trying to get my $20 change back out of the money I'd given him, and he's trying to shake me down for like another 30 on top of it, etc., not giving me my change. And it got into an unpleasant situation, and I don't want to sound like, like somebody violent. I'm not innately like that or anything like that, but it reached the point where I actually looked at the plexiglass partition that separated us in this little shoebox size opening, and I was actually envisioning myself reaching through there, grabbing this guy by the neck, pulling him through the plexiglass into the back seat, and he was not going to have a pleasant day. And what Carl von Freeling says to this cab driver in the book where he says, like, um, I don't think you really appreciate the gravity of your situation. That is a word for word, direct quote of what I told this New York City cab driver. And when he looked in my eyes and he saw I meant that he threw the 20 bucks at me, I snatched it out of the air and got out of the cab. So so I could relate to that character because, yeah, there's always people out there that want to try and screw somebody over or take advantage of you, et cetera, and I don't put up with it. No, I... That's that's that's. Sorry. I don't doubt your personality. You had me turning into one of my funny. characters on on the air live and everything. <laughs> oh no, no, that's totally, no, that's totally you. Let me tell you, um, your last book that we reviewed was about memoirs of and working in a gym, 
um, in the mm-hmm. industry, in the health industry. What has been your background um, like? Uh, now you're dedicating yourself full time to these books, and being a dad, and and taking care of uh, this really amazing um, pictures that you're painting with your books. Um, I think. Now, what's the third? What's the? Do you have an idea what the third book's going to be called yet? Oh, absolutely. I, I don't. I haven't settled on the on the title. It may be called Leviathan at this point, but the uh, it is semi mapped out. You know, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, these are big mm-hmm. books, and you have, you know, you're creating an entire universe each time you do a book. I mean, you have mm-hmm. literally that's what you're doing. And since the sequel to Cronus takes place years later, I can't rely on. 100% the characters and the settings that I have in the first book. It's not like you can just pick up from A and then move on to B. So you actually have to develop an entire world to go with your story. Um, but yeah, the, uh, it's funny because when you mentioned Memoirs of a Gym Rat, I was joking about this with an interview the other day, and they were saying about the shocking difference. And I, was, I joked back with them, and I told them, I said, let me tell you something. Cronus Rising is a horror story, technically. I said, I have seen things in health club locker rooms that were more scary than anything I could write about in Cronus Rising. Far more terrifying. So, and it was a joke per se, but it's also true. So, you know, everything that we do in life loans itself to us in one way, shape, form, or fashion. No, absolutely. What kind of research did you do um, to prepare in writing this for, book? For Cronus Rising? Oof, I literally did three months of solid research. Three months. And I'm talking mm-hmm. like six to eight hours of research a day for three months straight. Wow. I had to learn everything from uh, calculating the speed and mass of, of, of meteors, trajectories, impacts on the ocean floor, the effects of a meteor impact on the planet. I had to learn about submarines and sonar and weapons and the Coast Guard and shark finning and everything and anything you could possibly imagine because I wanted to give my readers as authentic an experience and as realistic an experience as possible. And I'm proud to say that it's from the reviews I've gotten so far that I think we've pulled that off. But yeah, it was a definitely grueling three months. I mean, I'm like, oh, technical journals. And then, of course, reading about the prehistoric animals and their anatomy and physiology and studying the fossils and, and everything you could possibly think of. Mm-hmm. It was, it was mm-hmm. like a, a semester in school you know, to prepare for the book. But if you're going to give your reader the best experience possible and create a book where they read it and they're going to be like, oh, my God, you know, oh, oh you know, you know I, like an interviewer telling me that, the other day, uh, he was like, you know, it was so gripping. And so I, he was like, I was, I was reading super fast. I, I almost wanted to skip ahead, you know. And, of course, you don't want readers to do that because they're so, they want to know what happens. You know, you uh-huh. really got them excited about the story. And the only way you do that is not just the subject matter, but to actually put them in that world where they're there and they're watching it like, like through an open window. It's right there that you can practically touch it. And you accomplish this, not just be by being a skilled writer, but by also putting in the time, putting in the effort, giving your readers that skilled writing that they deserve. You know, like I said, no, I mean, I, they're I, trusting us with, with one of their most precious gifts, their imagination. And you know, you don't, your imagination is, is one of the, you know, the best things that we have about us. So 
do you want to read a book where you're like, oh, God, I've got to finish it. It's almost like an assignment from school, and you want to get the cliff mm-hmm. notes. Or do you want a book where you're escaping from reality? It's like going to a great movie, but for 6 or 10 or 12 hours or however long it takes you to read the book. You, know, you get so much out of it, that it, and it creates that wonder and inspiration in you. Sorry, you know, I was waxing both up there. No, no, that's great. No, because I think it's really important that we are educated about things that are going on, and especially when you're getting ready to do a book on <clears throat> such a subject as this, I could imagine that you would you would want to know as much as possible um, about that subject. I mean, I know that when people have written books. I have a very close friend that's a very well-known author that's written books about va- vampires and also mm-hmm. um, science fiction books. And um, she tells me that she goes she goes basically into an environment very close to what she's writing about, and it really helps to create an awareness with her um, on what it might feel like if it feels clammy or cold or how the cold is going through your body Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So, you know, painting pictures with a book and also um, this interview is really important because people then can have a better understanding of what they're looking at. And, you know, a lot of people want to write books. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people out there could write really amazing things that they could tap into what they're really feeling or what they're passionate about, um, be it uh, a book about gardening or cooking or um, whatever, even if it's a if it's a um, science fiction novel or something like that. I'm really into sci-fi, and I have been um, really, really lucky to have been around some of the best science fiction writers in the world. And my favorite actor... Um, science fiction, well, my favorite actor is Christopher Walken. I've always had a favorite actor. I loved mm-hmm. The Dead Zone. That really was like for me, like the, the original movie, movie, The Dead Zone, yeah. That movie just like made a huge impact on me and um, really made me realize too that there's a lot more besides just what is in this world that we don't know about. And so your book <clears throat> kind of takes us to that place where this is possible this is really possible this could really be happening and i have to tell you what's also really funny about when i get a book um to read and i know a lot of people are going to go oh my god i can't believe you do that do you know what i do to the very end of the book Mm -hmm. and i read the very last few sentences of a book and then I know whether or not it's going to be something I want to read. Isn't that weird? Interesting. It's kind of weird. No, I do no, that, it's, 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 not, it's not weird at all. It, it, that's it, what I do. You know. hmm. That's what I do. And I love the end of your book about you painting pictures of the ocean and um, the colors and um, the hatchlings and stuff. It's just it's, no, 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 no spoilers now. No, I'm not going to be giving spoil away it. anything like that. No, oh, I, I want everyone to gonna... grab this book. Well, you know what? I did you really? You know, what really, really was really cool to me and made a really huge impact on me was how they did Prometheus, and then they did 
um, alien and, and how Prometheus was what happened before alien was made. It was like the story before. Right. Prequel. Uh-huh. So it was kind of like for me, I enjoyed that. Like what's happening with um, Lord of the Rings and then The Hobbit. Um, they're mm-hmm. letting you know about what happened before Lord of the Rings. Like we all know in The Hobbit, when you read The Hobbit, the book The Hobbit, and you know that when they reach the mountain and you get to the dra- and they get to the dragons that everybody perishes except a few people, right? In the book. Mm-hmm. And you know also by just seeing the movies that um, certain people are gone. But then when you see Lord of the Rings pick up, you see it where it left off with The Hobbit, which wasn't even written yet. So isn't that, it's just trippy that people do that. I, I, um, I find it fascinating that people are actually able to do that. And, uh, yeah, if, if a prequel is done properly, it can be great, you know, or if it's mm-hmm. done improperly, it can be a big disaster. It depends on the, the setting. I mean, there may be a prequel for Cronus Rising. Um, it depends on what happens with the series, and if yeah. there's enough interest from people, mm-hmm. you know, in certain characters to justify it, et cetera. Um, I do have a prequel, you know, semi-prepped already in terms of the planning stages, et cetera. But right now, I mean, the book has been such a, you know, such a big undertaking and it's just starting to build up steam that, you know, it would be a little premature for me to worry about that when I'm going to have to do book two, book three, and then, you know, possibly go back for a prequel also. Sure. Oh, well, God. you know, I want to ask you, are you going mm-hmm. to be doing any book signings anywhere soon? Yes, as a matter of fact. Well, I know I'm scheduled to be at a thing called Monster Bash. Uh, okay. It's in the, uh, the Pittsburgh area in Pennsylvania. Um, right now, I've been doing just uh, things have just been starting off. Obviously, it's only been about I guess ten days at most, not even eight or nine days. But um, so first thing I'll be doing is all the written and magazine interviews, and then the radio interviews, and then from there I'll be setting up the uh, actual book signing tours. But it will probably be mostly in the Northeast, depending on the laws mm-hmm. of supply and demand. Uh, you know, I, because you have a lot, I have a lot on my plate. So oh, sure. um, they may, you know, they, there may be an opportunity if, if you know, book signings cannot be done extensively, where uh, we may do some something where people can order, like, a signed a personalized copy, you know, through the site or something like that. At some point, I, I don't know yet. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, I enjoy meeting the fans, though. You know, my social media people have been great, and uh, you know, I love like the uh, you know the questions they ask me, you know, online or through the site. Uh, they're a very inquisitive bunch and very intelligent. Let me tell you, one thing I've, I've been noticing is since the Kindle and the Nook version of Cronus Rising came out is that they, those have been getting snatched up even faster than the hard copies, which tells you that my reader base is a, a more, I guess, computer savvy. I don't want to use the term geek. Because they're they're not no, geeks, I totally guess, get it. No, no, no. Yeah, but they're they're more intellectual than you know, and they they they're more technically savvy, and they like to have eBooks, and that's great too. I totally get that, and I was talking about this the other day that, for me, I really enjoy being able to hold a book in my hand and read it, and mm-hmm. we were talking about the publishing industry, and um, about how books are going to e-books and going straight to digital. And 
that's good for some people, but for people like myself, I really like to hold a book in my hand. And um, e-books are really cool. Don't get me wrong. And I, I guess you could put me in that group of people that like or a little, you know, have a reader. I have an iPad. I don't mm-hmm. really read that many books on my iPad. I actually really have hard copies of books that are in my hand. And just so you know, I did extend the show a few minutes, if that's okay, because I know you said at two o'clock you had um, things going on there. So if anything I happens, if you hear any little minutes. noises in the background, no big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah, the uh, I think that what goes on is that it's a younger generational type thing. Uh-huh. I think a lot of my yeah. readers, you know, are in high school and in college, and as a result of that, they're more apt to want to have the ebook, you know, for sheer convenience as opposed to the thing. I mean, I'm old-fashioned, a <clears throat> dinosaur, pun intended, you know, which is appropriate for this book, etc. And I, I would prefer to read a book, you know, a hard copy myself. But you know, it, it's a matter of personal taste. Any way you slice it, it's a great book exciting, scary, terrifying, gripping, and whichever format you get, you're going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what are some of your favorite books that you have personally read that you can relate to on a personal basis? Um, that I can relate to, you said? Yeah, that you feel on a personal basis. You really, you really understand it. You can really, you really like the book. You really got into it, and it was something that really personally hit you hard. Were there any books that you have that are <clears throat> ones that you remember more of? I mean, I have one um, that's one of my favorites. I really enjoyed *Miss of Avalon*, mm-hmm. and um, that was a big book to read. And also, um, *Like Water*. For chocolate, that was a really uh-huh. good. That was a book. So, I'm asking, like, have you read any books that have stayed with you? That are some of your favorites? Like, what's on your reading list? Well, the most recent book, and I'll say this right now, I have like no time to. I barely have time to read my own stuff at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I'm averaging about four to five hours sleep a night, unfortunately, and it's taking its toll. But I think the last book that I read was um, The Strain by Del Toro. Uh, it's a vampire book, uh, which uh, they have a oh, series wow. coming out, and it was very gripping and exciting, and I was very much into it, um, which is you know good for me to say. But in terms of personally relating, I think that I just saw a movie, uh, called, which uh, my friend Chris Parker actually did the screenplay for. It's called uh-huh. Heaven Is for Real, and Heaven Is for Real is about a uh, child who has a near-death experience and sees heaven. Uh, and comes back to talk all about it. I saw that yesterday. It. I saw yes. that yesterday and, in the um, things, yeah. <clears throat> and my friend wrote I'm that. Sorry, my voice and uh, he's, he's kind of like my, my writing guru, per se. And I was very, very impressed, not just in terms of the, you know, how he structured the story and all the subtle nuances of the movie, but it was such a well-acted, well-directed picture, and it was so, as a father in particular, you know, mm-hmm. it was such a moving experience to see the movie that it just made me you know want to 
when I went to pick up my little girl from school, just run up, pick her up, and give her an extra hug, you know, when I saw her, which in fact did exactly happen, <laughs> everything. So, yeah. it's, uh, you know, books or films, you know, it, it's what touches us and what we can relate to, yeah, that varies from person to person. You know, I try mm-hmm. to give, uh, you know, my fans with Cronus Rising every aspect that they could want in a story. You know, there is action, there is suspense, mm-hmm. There is gore, uh, there is terror, there are characters that are, yeah, there are heroes that are flawed that we can't help but like. There are villains that you're praying that they get eaten, you know, you're you're waiting for it and just, you know, oh, I hope he gets it soon type of thing. It's all feedback Mm -hmm. I got from the readers. You know, you you try and give everybody the, the, the whole ball of wax. And with Cronus Rising... I think with the lowland sea monster literature out there per se, the, what I call marine terror books, um, I think that you know that niche has you know been filled. And if people are looking for a great read and something to scare the heck out of them with you know bathing suit season, beach season upon them, then this is definitely their opportunity. Did you know that you were going to be a writer when you were younger? Did you always like writing, journalism, or anything like that? No, in fact, it actually hit me, and it's it's almost going to sound uh, staged per se. My very first Florida vacation, which has got to be close to twenty years ago, uh-huh. I uh, I was down in the Keys vacationing and fishing. You know, I'm an obsessive fisherman, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you've seen pictures of me with that giant grouper and stuff. That fish was yeah. released alive. I don't want any people getting Yay. mad at me. Okay. Uh, I usually do catch and release, but I'm not eating them. Yeah. But yeah. um, and I was down there in the Keys, and I went to this one. Oh gosh, I think it's called Outdoor World or something store, and they had a, a fishing boat there that was a sister ship. Si- oh, sorry, sister ship of Hemingway's boat, the Pilar, and he mm-hmm. had fished off of this boat. They had the fighting chair that he'd fished out of. And then when you went below decks, what was really amazing was they had the actual typewriter that he wrote The Old Man in the Sea on. And you can actually sit there and touch it and hit the keys and all this stuff. And it was like I just had this revelation that I wanted to write and I wanted to do these type of books. And I, I don't want to say Hemingway was reaching out to me or anything like that because that's going to sound hokey, but it was such a moving and inspirational thing to be touching the exact typewriter that, you know, and nobody sees a typewriter anymore nowadays, but that, that he wrote this book on, which is a small book, but it's still a masterpiece and always will be. And it was just such a moving experience that I was on a boat he fished on at a desk he used at a typewriter. He wrote that book. And it just hit me, and I said, you know what? I'm going to become a writer. And the, the decision was made. Wow, that's that's pretty that's pretty interesting because it's really funny when you find out what it was that was the catalyst that inspired somebody to do something. I don't know if you know very much about the area I'm in, but um, Jack London was very prominent here, and uh, his lodge is here. And recently, just recently, and it's funny you said um, you sat down where the person who hit the keys, they recently just found the desk in the woods by people following uh, different clues and things that he wrote about in his books where he wrote Call of the Wild on. So it's pretty interesting. Um, this whole, 
you know, the whole town and Kenwood, And that was a book I read area. as a child. And I will, yeah. I would have to say, your earlier question that was very moving for me. You know, and that's, that's, see, that's not a horror book per se. That's more like an mm-hmm. adventure book. But the, the animals' experiences, you know, there are parts of the book where they're yeah. written from the animal's point of view, from the dog's viewpoint. And that actually, now that I think about it, probably would have had some impact on me because in Cronus Rising, there are lots of scenes from the, quote, monster's perspective. You know, I tried to give the creature in Cronus Rising something that you don't see a lot in monster stories, which is a bit of a personality. You know, a lot yeah, of these animal choices. You know, yeah, yeah, he and then people have his do, own personality. You don't want your your creature to fall flat for people. You know, it's not a robot. It has to have a personality of its own. That doesn't mean that it's speaking and telling jokes or saying, I'm going to get you, (laughs) ha, 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 or something like that. Uh But where you're able to delve into the mentality of the monster and see things from that savage, primordial perspective, that instills more wonder and more fear in the reader when they're reading about this creature. It has more effect on the reading, the effect that it has on the characters because they can relate to it better. And unfortunately, Holly, at this point, I'm going to have to bid you adieu because I oh, do have home. to go. Yes, I have okay. to pick up the, the boss from, her, from, from pre-K um, and everything. <laughs> Otherwise, I will have a sea monster of my own that I'm going to have I to deal with. I want to have you back on. I want to have you back on. So... For everyone that um, did miss the beginning of the show, it will be available on iTunes afterwards and on demand on Blog Talk Radio. And I'll send you the I'll send you the link, Max. And let's schedule another interview when you have um, a little bit more time and you're, you don't have to go somewhere, which is probably yeah. Never. Uh, if we if we can <laughs> schedule, you have to remember I'm on the East Coast, so yeah. if we can schedule something a little earlier, like. Uh, maybe lunchtime for you, let's say yeah. like 12 or 1 o'clock your time, I guess. Well, okay. we did 1 o'clock your time, but maybe 12 o'clock. Yeah, I, I would definitely. I, I really enjoy talking with you, and we cover a lot of great topics. And, you know, Cronus Rising is going to be There's a, so much you know, more I want to ask you. So make sure that you get in touch with me, and I'll send you the link to this. And uh, thank you so much for being here. And I want to thank everyone for listening today. And uh, if you need to go, go ahead and jump off the phone and I'll end the show. And we're going to end with um, another song that is a reference in his book by R.E.M., End of the World. Um, Uh Aha, yes. Excellent, excellent. We'll be ending with that. Thank you so much, Holly. It was my pleasure. Yeah, we'll definitely talk. Okay, have a great day. Thank you. Bye. So for everyone still listening, um, this is just such a – this was such a great opportunity to be able to um, talk to Max because Max has so many different um, parts of him that are so different than his first book that he's written. And uh, this book is really something that really grabs you. So I want to say to everyone that next week I do have um, I have some really cool interviews coming up. I believe I have Zoe Moon on next week and um, some other really cool interviews. And I know we have a lot of really cool interviews coming up with in the music industry. And if you miss if you missed the Richie Ramone show that we did last week, make sure to check that out on, on iTunes and on Red Velvet Media afterwards. And I wanted to tell everyone this is Friday. I want to wish everyone a very happy Friday. Yesterday was May Day. And uh, I hope everyone enjoys their weekend and uh, don't drink and drive. 
I just want to make sure that um, everybody knows that we are on every Wednesday and Friday. And I do do special exception shows. I do shows if there's breaking news. And, uh, yeah, if you uh, want to be on the show, um, you know, just drop me an email. Let me know what your, you know, your whole subject's about. We've had everything on here. From we, I basically like to keep this as pop culture, music, um, spirituality. There's quite a few subjects that we do cover, and um, pretty much all the people that are on my show are people that I personally know and that are friends, and so it, that's what makes it even more fun. Um, I get quite a few people in the music industry that have um, CDs dropping, and uh, we're talking pretty well-known people. And uh, so if you really want to hear some music that has never been played on the air um, before and it's breaking, I do um, sometimes have music that I premiere on my show. So I want to thank everyone for listening again. And again, this has been Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio. And to everyone out there, please um, have a great weekend because it's we're coming into summer now. And also, uh, as I said, don't drink and drive and be safe. And I want to just give everyone out there a shout-out. Red Velvet Media is also on Facebook if you want to check us out. And also, I will be having um, some other guests very shortly that are very um, well-known in the um, entertainment industry that will be on my show. I'm not going to give away who they are yet, but... You'll be really, really excited when these shows come about. So for everyone out there, again, have a great weekend, and we will talk to everybody on Wednesday. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Red Velvet Media with Holly Steffi. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time. Snakes and airplanes.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.